Ephesians chapter 2, and have you ever wondered in a church, whether you walk into our church or any other Bible-believing church, and you see people from all walks of life, different backgrounds, different religious experiences, uh, different cultures even, and you wonder, how in the world do all these people come together in the same place and work together for the Lord? How does that happen? Have you ever wondered that? That's what we're going to look at tonight in Ephesians chapter number 2. And the, the, long, the short answer is, God does it, but tonight we're going to learn that, look at how. And it's amazing that people with different backgrounds, different experiences, God brings them all together into the place called the church, ecclesia, the gathering together, and God joins them together to have one purpose, to serve him and bring him glory. And tonight we're going to see how he does that this evening. If we could stand together out of respect for the ring of the word of God, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse number 11, and we're going to read responsively down to verse number 22 to the end of the chapter. I'll begin in verse 11, and if you could pick up reading aloud in verse number 12, and then we'll alternate back and forth down till we get to verse 22. So let's begin. Wherefore, remember that ye bring, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, I pray that you bless the message tonight. Oh Lord, we are so thankful that you brought us from different places, different backgrounds, and Lord, you've saved us, and now you want to fitly join us together as you do in every church. I pray your blessing for this lesson today that is so important. It seems so many are wanting to divide over so many different things in our culture today, and we're taught to divide and conquer, but Lord, you want unity in your church unity of doctrine, unity of purpose, and Lord, so thankful for the unity in our church, and Lord, I pray that you would maintain it, for Lord, it is of you, and Lord, as we follow you, Lord, you bring us together. Pray that you bless our time together in your word, pray that you give me the words to say this evening, and have clarity of thought, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Many parts, one whole is the title of the message tonight. We all are many parts, 
Many people, many different experiences, all different in their own way, each unique, but yet one whole church used for the glory of God. And that's exactly what God's plan is. And we see through here an explanation, and we're going to walk through this. So we're going to begin back in uh, verse 11. We're going to take this piece by piece, so verses 11 through 13. So let's look at number one tonight. We see number one, incompatible parts. Incompatible parts. We're in verses 11 through 13 of Ephesians chapter 2. So we see two different worlds, two different groups described here. Verse 11, wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hand, speaking of the Jews. Two incompatible worlds, two different worlds. The world of Judaism, the Old Testament covenant given to Abraham. We see all through the Old Testament the promises made to Israel. The Old Testament laws, the Ten Commandments and the laws of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. The ceremonial laws of the separation of to remind them that they are peculiar people the physical uh, separation even that of circumcision as it mentions here the ceremonial laws of what to eat what not to eat all of these things were so that they were a peculiar people a separated people and there are people today that say well in during the age of grace you know we don't need to separate from the world like the Jews did can I tell you something there was a reason why God separated them a peculiar people made them different he told them so that they would not follow other gods and they would not fall into idolatry and today we see the same thing well we need to get along with all everybody in the world by the way we ought to we live peaceably with all men amen that's what we need to do as God's people. However, that doesn't mean we get into partnership and we condone and we are okay with all that the world does because if we do, then we're going to be able, then before you know, we're going to be worshiping at the same altars the world worships at. And God does not want that. And that's why in James chapter, it says, chapter 1, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is what enmity with God. And this is what's going on here in the situation is that there's two worlds here. By the way, the world of Judaism and the world of the Greeks, if you will, the Gentiles. This is Ephesus here. But notice here that it isn't saying one's right, one's wrong. Both are incorrect. Because the Jews at this time were trusting in their works in that they were the descendants of Abraham. And of course God accepts us for who we are. They had a different culture. They had a different calendar than the Roman world had. They had a different celebrations. They had feasts and all of these things. Everything was different about them. But yet we see that was still not acceptable in the eyes of God. And that was the world, the frame of reference they came from. So you look at these two things. And then we see the Greeks, the Gentiles. Everything's that the Jews were. The Greeks were the complete opposite. How can you have these two groups of people in the same church? They'll never agree on anything. They'll never agree to get along. And by the way, a lot of the epistles deal with this very issue of how to get along in the house of God. And we see that the world of the Greeks was pagan. Uh, many different cultures, the Greeks uh, had many gods. Uh, they, of course, they had their philosophy of, the, of life. They have Socrates and all of these, the philosophers. They had a different culture, a different calendar, different celebration, different values. Everything was different about them. How can these two get along in the same place? 
you go around the world, you go to Africa, you go to South America, you go to places, and you'll find uh, people that were from d- differing uh, ethnic groups or different uh, 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 tribes. They were the enemies of one another, yet in Christ, they were in the same church worshiping together. How does that happen? Christ, if we all focus and we all let first the trans... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm, I'm going to stop there. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Let's read verse number 12. That at time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you sometimes were afar off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. You know, some today discount the importance of the church. You know, you talk to people, well, we, we, we worship at home. We're part of the universal church. You know, we don't need to go to church. That's not, uh, you know, that's not in the Bible. Well, unfortunately for them, uh, it is in the Bible. Clearly, through the book of Acts all the way through, the church is God's vehicle for reaching the world, and God uses the local church. Yes, we're all saved and unified in Christ in that sense. So in that sense of the universal church, by the way, when people use the word universal church, they're not usually meaning what we think it means. Okay, universal, are we part of the body of Christ universally? Yes, if we're saved. In that sense, that's what most independent batters, most conservative people see that as. But the universal church is, uh, you know, many faiths, many creeds, everybody all together, many paths lead to God. That's what a lot of people mean by that, unfortunately, today as a form of ecumenism and that we don't believe in that. Amen. All right, there's only one path to God. That's through Jesus Christ and him alone, plus nothing. Uh, so we go through that. So some discount the importance of church, but that, but that we can have church anywhere, that a local assembly is not necessary. That is not what the Bible very clearly teaches, especially when we get to verses 20 through 22 at the end of this chapter. It said that you are God's building, fitly joined together, built up in who? Christ Jesus. That's a building, and that building isn't necessarily the physical walls of this building, but the pieces of a church. Church is people. Even you can meet outside in the park, but you're meeting together. You're a building, spiritual building that God has built. We as individuals are a spiritual house, but then together as a church, we are a spiritual building that God has built. And praise God for that. That's the best kind of church to have, one that God's built. Amen. That's the best kind of church. There's churches out there that God hasn't built. But when you go into a church, you know God is building, God has built. You know it and praise God for that. And a church that's built by God is a Bible-believing church, and we're thankful to have that. So that brings us, so the incompatible parts. We know what the two incompatible parts are. In this context, Are we see the Greeks or Gentiles and the Jews who have uh, lived by their traditions, and now they both have come to Christ. And so that brings us to the second part. First, incompatible parts. You know, they don't go together. No way they're going to, like oil and water. Number two, what makes the difference? We see equal transformation. So number two, equal transformation. So Romans 8, 1, that's going to be our member verse for next week. Okay, so we're going to get back. I put that in there, but we'll stick with Isaiah 61, 1. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. But how can these two worlds get along? And the simple answer is, in Jesus Christ, verse 13, it begins, but now in Christ, you sometimes were far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. Aren't you glad of that? Some of us were far off, amen? But God, we're brought into Christ by his blood, by faith in him. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall a partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments 
contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now, verse 15, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments. Now, him saying that, this Apostle Paul, to a Jew, extremely offensive, because by the law of commandments is how they lived and how they got to heaven, how they uh, were acceptable to God. It's that Christ did away with all that on the cross. When we see that he died and the veil was ripped in twain in the temple, the veil, the eminent, that's the wall of partition, the enmity between man and God, that was destroyed in Christ Jesus. By the way, aren't you glad about that? That he, we who are the enemy of God, we who had no place in that family of God, we can have a place with Christ. There is unity in Christ. No longer do the things that define people in the flesh matter. No matter the things that define the Jews in their flesh, their works and all of their uh, promises and all of the, not the promise, but all the, that they depended on in the flesh to be saved. Do away with that. All the Greeks and Gentiles did who maybe they didn't believe in heaven or they believed in their pagan practices, all those things in the flesh. They didn't matter now. Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk, here it is, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that's the only way we have unity in the church is when we're walking after the Spirit of God and not after the flesh, because the flesh likes to fight, doesn't it? The flesh likes to do what it wants to do, and that's exactly what this was going to happen. If you had Greeks... And we had Jews in the same church and they were walking according to what they had learned in their philosophies and their values. There is going to be some major problems. But what's the unifying factor? Compromise? No, Christ Jesus is the answer. And that's the thing with today is the cry for compromise. Well, we just need to get along with everybody. You know, we just don't need to be so staunch in our beliefs. We just need to get along and decide to change and agree with these people. No, the unifying factor is Christ. If we're following the Bible and we're walking in the Spirit and we're conformed to the image of Christ, we're going to be unified in Christ, not unified with all these different... You can't be unified all these different doctrines and values and all of those things. We must be unified in Christ and in the Bible. That's why this book is the sole authority for faith and practice. What that means is, is that this is the supreme law of the church and of God's people. And our lives, we're to live by it. If we live by it, then God is going to fitly join us together to go forward for him. And that's exciting. Everyone must have the same amount of transformation. Those that seem to be far away or those that, well, they're, they're good people, but they still, by the way, we all need to be saved the same way. It doesn't matter if you're a good person or if you're a wicked person. Your goodness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. We all need to be saved. We all need to be transformed. And this is such a blessing. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, if you could, in verses 26 to 28. Turn over there. I'll give you a moment to turn over there. Christ is the transforming factor because old things are passing. Behold, all things are become new. We're thankful for that. We're glad we're not the way we used to be. I know I'm not. I know, I know I'm glad, I'm, I am glad, sorry, I know I'm glad that I'm not the way I used to be. I don't think the same way. I don't act the same way. I'm thankful for that. Christ is the transformation. And we see in Galatians 3, 26, it says, For y'all, the children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus, 
For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. We are all one. We are all one in Christ. Now, some people say, well, how does this apply to the church? How does this apply to what's what's going on today, living life today, being in a church today? How does that apply? Well, it applies this way. Let's continue on in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, we read now verse 17, And came and preached peace to you, which were far off to them which were nigh. For through him we have both access by one spirit unto the Father, Now therefore, now verse 19, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. That if we are in Christ, we're adopted in the family of God. We're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Uh, And speaking mostly of the Gentiles, you know, we don't have the same promises the Jews do. We have the same Savior, amen, and we need to trust in him for salvation, but now we are partakers of many of those same promises Through Christ Jesus. We don't replace Israel, but now what does it say? We're fellow citizens with them. Isn't that exciting? Amen. We're fellow citizens. We have the same access with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Remember the chief cornerstone, the stone which the builders rejected. It has now become what? The chief of the corner. Stephen's sermon there. In whom? All the building. So now this we're talking about here. We're talking about the church building. Not talking about the literal walls here, but we're talking about the people of the church. doesn't matter if you come here to Tabernacle Baptist Church or you go to churches across America or across the world. The truth is still the same. God brings people to the church through witnessing, through evangelism, through people coming into the church, finding the church, and then God brings them in and has a place for them. Amen. There's never a church that someone comes in and God says, oh, no, I don't know what to do with this person. Okay, amen. God always has a plan. God always has a plan to join them together. God, you are a part of God's jigsaw puzzle, if you want to think of it that way, that God has a place for you. God has a job for you. God has a place of service for you. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about pew sitters. What does that mean? Someone that comes to church is blessed but does nothing in the church. I know some churches are big and they have a lot of people doing different things. I grew up in a church where uh, I asked for opportunities to serve, never did have a problem. It was the same people doing the same jobs all the time. And there was never new jobs coming available. So I was like, hey, what can I do? So sorry, no availability. You know, there's nothing to do. I mean, even, you know, doing cleaning or helping something. Oh, we have people for that already. You know, sorry. <clears throat> the same 15 people, 20 people had done the same jobs for the last 25 years and nothing was going to change. And there was a lot of people that came in the church, wanted a job to do. You know, we were, some of us were pew sitters, but that's, we were kind of forced to be because there was nothing else to do. And I'll never forget that a new pastor came in and he started leading the church and preparing them, teaching about missions and about soul winning. And he was going to start a door-to-door soul-winning ministry. We were like, what's that? Okay, we had been in the church. By the way, we had that, the church I was attending had been started by Russell Bell. I mean, have you ever heard of him? 
He started that church, and he was a soul winner, okay? And soul winning was very common up in New York State, but not for the last about 30 years before I got there. Uh, before uh, before we got to that church, we joined that church when I was like 15, 16 years old. And man, people, that was a controversy. You want to talk about controversy? Yeah, my dad remembers this controversy. I mean, you mean we're going to go out and we're going to violate people's privacy and go knock on their doors and tell them we're going to go up to their, we're going to get shot. This is New York, okay? But, you know, you know, we're going to, you know, this, this is rural New York. You know, people did have guns. People shot bears in their backyard. Anyway, uh, you know, we, and, and it was just a controversy. I mean, I was excited. I'm like, oh, that's like doing what the Bible says. Right? About them. I mean, some people were on board, but I mean, controversy. I mean, there was an uproar in the church. There's about, there about five to six people who got trained, went through training, and started doing it. I'll never forget. Then I went off to college at that point. And uh, it was interesting there, but that's the purpose that God had. And God brought new people into the church and joined them together. And they got behind doing that. But uh, controversial. And our new, uh, new pastor, he was from Canada. And uh, interesting testimony that he has. Uh, Russ O'Neill was his name. And he didn't use the right Bible version, different things like that, but he was still a great man. And he was, he, I'll share his testimony really quick. He was a wino, okay? So he was a drunk, uh, and back in the 60s, and like early 70s, and he would uh, drink profusely. He was married, had one child, and his wife was just done with him. Just absolutely done. And so she separated from him, and he was overtaken with alcohol and through a series of things. That I think it was part of it was a track. The part was just uh, somebody came to him on the street. Uh, I think it was a street preacher. And uh, talked to him, and uh, he heard him preaching there and talked to him, and he got saved. Got uh, saved in Toronto, Canada. And trusted Christ and changed his life completely. So he went that night, and he got the guy gave him a Bible. So he went... And he went and visited his wife. His wife was separated. They had, she had filed for divorce in the midst of divorce proceedings. Uh, and they, uh, he went to his mother-in-law's house and came by and, you know, knocked on the door and said, oh, she doesn't want to see you. Uh, her name was Lynn. He said, Lynn doesn't want to see you. And I uh, said, what, are you sober? He said, yeah, I'm not, I've got something important. My life has changed. You know, he said, I tried many times to change, to stop drinking. He had said that many, many times. It's different now. And mother-in-law's like, well, okay, you can talk to her one more time, but if this isn't for real, then you can forget it. It's over. So I said, I just want to talk to her. So he told her about what had happened to him and how he got saved. And now he had only been saved for a few hours. He led his wife to the Lord using the Bible that night. They both got saved. And over about a couple weeks' time, they started going to church and getting in the Bible. They were still, she still filed for divorce. They weren't living together. They said, you know what? God saved us. We don't need to get divorced. It's wrong. And so they canceled the divorce proceedings and stayed married. And they had a track and that was entitled this, The Divorce Didn't Work Out, So We Decided to Stay Married. Amen. Just share their testimony how they got saved. Because some people are like, well, is he really qualified to be a preacher and these different things? Yes, he was. They didn't, never officially got divorced. But even then, I think they almost had come to the, por- uh, the point of officially being divorced. But they had another ceremony and renewed their vows to each other and uh, married for, I think, almost 50 years now. Praise the Lord for that. God brought them together. And God does that in a church. And we look, let's look at some phrases here. So we see number three, unity in the church. Unity in the church. Uh, we see in verse number 
20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom all building fitly framed together. Now, this word fitly has an interesting idea. Uh, it has the idea of tongue and groove. Okay, if you ever do flooring or you do any type of cabinetry, uh, joints are finger jointed together so that they don't come apart very easily. Like I said, the idea of a jigsaw puzzle only goes together one way so that it will stay together. And this is what God's doing, is that he builds a church fitly joined together and each person in their place so the structure will stand. Don't ever think and let the devil deceive you that your part isn't important. Amen. The devil gets into people's thinking and minds, well, my part's not important, and if I stop coming to church or I go find another church, it isn't really going to matter. I don't make a difference in that church at all. How deceived you are, that is completely not true. Because if you go missing, the rest of the structure of the church is compromised. Amen. That's why it is moreover required in stores that a man be found what? Faithful. And if you're faithful to the house of God and faithful in your place, then the church can begin to build. But if you have a church full of people that don't want to get on board with God's plan, been to churches like that, that they don't want to get on board with God's plan. They're fine coming to church. They're fine being there at the certain times they want to be there. But they're not okay with getting involved. They don't want any response, but they don't want to get involved. They don't want any of that. And so they decide, you know, and you know what? You know what God can't do? God can't build the church. Except the Lord building house, amen. They labor in vain that build it. You know, a lot of preachers today, they get discouraged with that type of church. Uh, a lot of preachers, they're, they're faithful. And you know what? That's why a lot of preachers quit in those type of churches because they try and build and try and build something that keeps collapsing, keeps collapsing. God can't build. Why? Because the people in it don't want to be fitly joined together. They don't want to be faithful to their part. They're afraid. Sometimes they're hurt in the past, so they're afraid. But we see this fitly framed, jointed together. If God does that, then what's going to begin to happen? Let's continue verse number 20 or verse 21. Groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. So when you're fitly framed together and jointed together, then what's going to happen? You're going to see growth. This is how our church grows, is that when people have taken their spot, I'm going to be faithful in my spot right here, then God can begin to build. So we let's imagine a base layer here. So let's imagine there's a square right here, and there's a group of people that have fitly joined together. They are each in their place. God says, okay, now I can build. And if you're doing your part in outreach and seeing people saved, then what's going to happen? You're going to begin to build another layer of people, and God's going to fitly join them together. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, people walk into a church, and, you know, they look them up and down, and they're like, well, I don't know how they're going to fit into archers. They don't fit. You know, they don't fit in. You know, they don't look the part. They don't do this. They, they, they don't fit in in our church. Unfortunately, there's quite a few churches in America that are like that. Can I say that that's wrong and sinful? James deals with that. But what we need to see is that God is going to take care of that. Amen. You know, there are some things that maybe they still do in the flesh. Let God take care of that. Just be gracious, be loving, and God takes care of the rest. Amen. That's the important thing. So you're going to be growed. You're going to grow together. He's going to start growing things. Verse 22, in whom also ye are builded together for an habitation, not of people, of God through the Spirit. So you're going to be built together to build something worthy 
of God. A habitation of God. That's tremendous and also it's very scary. Because we know who God is. God is holy. God is majestic. God is almighty and all-powerful and is at our church a habitation of God. Through the Spirit, is it worthy of His habitation? That's a scary thing. That ought to keep us close to Him. That ought to keep sin out of our life. All this, this is what God does. It doesn't matter. By the way, uh, God builds the house. Amen. We're faithful. God builds. But God only builds when we're faithful. Church is not about being built on personalities. There's been a lot of churches in the past that have been built on the personalities of the preacher. Man, he's such a great preacher. I'm glad I'm not one of those people. Okay? Uh, I'm glad God enables me to preach, but I'm glad I'm not a personality guy. Okay? Because those churches, you know, we hear about them. They grow big ministries, right? And they're built on personalities. But what happens when that person's no longer there? Either they fall into sin or they die. What happens to the church? The churches just fall apart. Because in the end, a church that God builds doesn't fall apart. Amen. A church that God builds, it can be built on personalities. And that's many times not the fault of the preacher. Many times people fault the preacher. No, people come to church for the wrong reason. That's not the preacher's fault. That's the people's fault. Maybe a church not about different types of church culture. I call it church culture, you know, different types of churches, you know. You know, we talk about Hiles churches and Bob Jones churches and all these different type of churches. You know what? I don't find any of that in the Word of God. You know, we only want people like us in this church, right? You know, they ought to believe like us. Well, we all got to be, we got to believe the Bible, amen? Amen. We, gotta, we have to agree with that, amen? Doctrine's important, but they've got to, you know, have the same thing, do everything the same way. I'm so glad every single family in here does things differently. You know what? And that's how God designed it. Amen. Uh, but we must have people that look like us, you know, and, you know, are, are just like us and this and that. You know, you know, they, you know, they just like, you know, they say amen too loud. They ain't going to find themselves a Hiles Anderson church and not come to ours. Amen. I'm okay with saying amen, you know, because that's biblical. Amen. Say, praising the Lord, agreeing with that. You know, some people say, you know, other people, you know, come in and it's like, well, we don't. They, you know, I've, we've had people come in and, uh, you know, visit the church and like, you say amen in your church. Yeah. We're not Episcopals, okay? You know, Presbyterians. We say, you know, because they come from a different type of church. Well, we don't do that. Where in the north did you come from? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, there's some southern churches like that too, but uh, just different types of church culture and all of those things. Well, we need to build it upon that. No, it's built in Christ. Different people from different places. We don't care what kind of church you came from. Amen? Are you in Christ? God takes care of those things. It's, church is not about entertainment. You know, some churches are built on that entertainment, on the programs of how I'm entertained, or anything to do with the flesh. Because when that changes, it all falls apart. That's what the seeker sensitive, the emerging church is falling apart. Why? Because it doesn't work. You know, it's not, church isn't about getting Starbucks lattes in the, in the foyer. You know, and I don't, I wouldn't want that company in my church anyway. Amen. Amen. Might have to have us uh, sign a diversity agreement or something, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, those things, you know, we have to be careful about those things. But church is about one thing, it's about Christ. You know, we don't agree with Christian House of Prayer, but they have the bumper stickers and then, you know, the one thing they got right, it's all about Him. And that's the truth, it is. 
You know, I see those all around town and all those things. Well, they got that right. Man, it is about him. Now, if you go to the worship services, unfortunately, it's not about him. It's about people, unfortunately. That's kind of a dichotomy. But you've got to be careful. If you're going to church, that's all about you and making you feel good. Then it's the wrong type of church. It's a man-built church. It's not God-built. Because a God-built church and a Christ-centered church, it's not about us. We die daily. We take up our cross. Who deny himself? It's not about me. Not about making me comfortable. It's not about making me feel good. It's about worshiping God. About Christ. That's the right type of church. Doing what Christ has also, the church is about doing what Christ has created you to do. Each one of you are here by God's appointment and you've been created for a specific purpose and you have a specific job God wants you to do in this church. So I haven't found it yet. That's okay. I'll help you find it. All right? Or there's different things people can do. I don't want to ever say it. And many people have joined our church through the years for this simple reason. I was at another church and I asked for a place to serve and they didn't have a place of service for me. I wanted to find a church I could serve in. Praise God for that. The only way this church is going to grow if God's people serve. But not only that, church is about to be what Christ has created you to be. Not what we want to be. The culture today is about what do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be? Who do you want to become? Life's not about that. Life's about who God created you to be. If we look at a lot of these things today, and that's what's driving our culture today, that's what's driving transgenderism, being what you want to be instead of what God made you. And they try, they won't find, by the way, you won't find satisfaction in any of that. You won't find, and now, so, well, I don't believe in all that anyway. That's fine, but even Christian people are determined, I want to be what I want to be, and you'll never be satisfied until you are what God created you to be and God made you to be to serve the one who died to save us we spend a lot of time fighting we spend a lot of time fighting God and I don't want to be that I want to be this but just surrender to him let him be who let him do what he created you to do let him do his work in you we are his workmanship to serve the one who died to save us remember that he's reasonable he's worthy of service and praise he is worthy it's only reasonable that we serve him because he died for us Allowing him to put us where he needs us and he wants us. He wants me to do that. That's scary. I've thought that many, many times. Still happens. Everyone's okay, God, you want me to do that? That's scary. I'm not used to that. God says, okay, I provided a way for you. I created you for this. What a miracle of God. How people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, all of those things, all that doesn't matter in Christ. You know, so many people define, well, I can't serve God because of my upbringing. I can't serve God because of my past. Do you know what? We see this right here in this passage, and this is a great passage of Scripture to take people to that believe that. He said, none of that matters. Amen. It doesn't matter. It's what God has made you in Christ now. Not what you used to be, not how you grew up. Well, I can't, you know, I've heard this so often and over and over and over again. I can't serve God as a young person. I can't be in full-time ministry. I can't serve God because of my upbringing. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. And? You understand that Apostle Paul wasn't either. He was brought up in a Jewish home, but it wasn't Christian. 
Timothy was brought up in a half-Christian home. His father was a Greek. You look at these different ones that were the apostles, and they were brought up in Christian homes either. But yet, somehow, they served God. It's about what Christ made them and taught them. Let's not define ourselves by how we grew up, but that's, unfortunately, we talked about psychology a little bit. That's what is called environmental psychology. You are what your environment has made you to be. True, the environment influences you, but when we come to Christ, all that doesn't matter. God changes it all. Amen. I'm predestinated to be a drunk because my family was. No, God changes all that. I'm predestinated to be immoral. I'm predestinated to be a drug addict. All of those things because of my upbringing, because of my environment, and all this. God changes all that. Praise God. Our church has so many wonderful people, all different, different cultures, different religious backgrounds, yet we are all one in Christ. So ask a question tonight. Are we allowing God to join us and fit us together as we grow into the image of Christ to be that building, that habitation worthy of God in his spirit? Are we doing that as God's people tonight? If maybe we're scared, maybe we're resisting, maybe we're concerned about what part we play, let's pray about it tonight. Say, God, what part do you want me to do? What faithful part can I have in growing the church of God? I want to be fitly joined together tonight. Let's pray.